0: Well good morning everyone, of course that's Buddy the Elf, his first time in New York City. There's actually a lot more to that, we chose to just show you about a minute's worth like when he's going through the revolving door and couldn't get out and that kind of thing. But uh, first, the first time you experience something can be so exciting can it, and it can bring a lot of joy um, just like it did for Buddy. I remember the first time I rode in an airplane, I don't know if you do or not, I was like six years old. My uncle was a pilot. and He just flew small planes, and he took me up in this little two-seater for my first plane ride ever. Man, that was the coolest thing in the world, I thought, at the time. I remember the first time I flew overseas. It was like the early 1970s. My uncle and aunt took me to Hawaii. I was excited to go to Hawaii. I'd studied about it in school and liked everything about it, but I was excited about the plane ride. We flew on what was considered to be almost a brand new plane at the time. It had just come out. It was called a 747. They called it a jumbo jet, these huge planes. I remember just how big that thing was when we flew on it. I remember the first time I jumped out of an airplane. Um, That was pretty cool. Uh, You know, when that door opens and you're looking down at the ground from 10,000 feet and you know you're going to go out that door, that's an adrenaline rush. Then you go out and you free fall 5,000 feet, and then you open the chute and you float down to the ground. That's pretty cool to do as well. I remember the first services we had in this building. September 9, 2012, over seven years ago now. How many of you were here for those first services? Let me see your hand. Okay, wow, cool. Cool, yeah. I even remember what I spoke on. I remember the topic that day, which is actually pretty impressive because I don't remember that much about my past sermons, to be honest with you. I can even remember what passage from the Bible I used. I can remember my three points I can remember the sermon title going back to those first services in that building. I'm sure those of you who are here who raise your hands, you can too, right? All right, I'm going to put out a challenge to you. If you can remember the three points I gave in that first sermon in this building, if you'll go out to the atrium after our... Service this morning. Tim Perkins, he's our connections pastor. Here's what he looks like. You probably know him. In case you know, that's Tim. He's going to be out in the atrium. He has a $25 gift card waiting for you. If you can remember my three points from that first sermon, you have to get them perfect. Okay, we're perfect. They were kind of short though, each point. So there's a hint. And um, you also have to get them in order. Okay, and if you're an employee of the Ridge, of course, you cannot play. Um, I'll tell you what, if you can remember the title, just the title of my first sermon, there's a $5 gift card waiting for you. So $25 for the first $3.5 for just the sermon time. It's Christmas time. We're giving away all sorts of things here at the Ridge today. And by the way, I know some of you go. I'm going to see if I can Google that and find it. Good luck, because we tried. It's not out there. Believe me, that sermon was not that good, all right? (laughs) So you're not going to find it out there, so don't waste your time. Just try to listen to this one instead. Um, I remember when our first child was born. Man, is that an experience or what? And just the joy that that brought. Little girl, love at first sight. I remember our first Christmas with our first child. If you've had that experience too, you know that that changes everything about Christmas, doesn't it? I, you know, Christmas is for kids, isn't it? Um, now we like it as adults, but clearly Christmas is for kids. And when I thought that thought, you know what it took me back to? Do you remember the old Trick cereal commercial that said, "Silly rabbit, tricks are for kids"? Here's a picture of what Trick cereal looks like. You. I mean, like this goes back a few years, but yeah, but there was a commercial and it would say, silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. And I've often thought that about Christmas too, right? Christmas is for kids, even though we all like it. First can be so exciting. First can bring so much joy. Think about the number of firsts that happened at the very first Christmas. Let me give you a few. So for example... There is a special star, Matthew 2.2 2 actually refers to it as his star. Of course, meaning the star of the Messiah, the star of the Savior. And the wise men followed this star until they came and found Jesus. And then they worshipped him. It brought them so much joy. Here's another first for you, a virgin birth. That was a first. Do you know that 700 years before Jesus came to earth, it was predicted, it was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. This is Isaiah 7:14. It says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means, of course, God is with us. That was predicted 700 years before it happened. Now, can you imagine hearing Isaiah the prophet say that and thinking to yourself, I have no idea what that means, but I know this, if that happens, that'll be a first. And then, of course, here's another first, God becoming a man That was a first, wasn't it? The way the Gospel of John, one of the books written about Jesus, describes that in John 1.14 as it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was a first. You know, God becoming a man. Here's a first at Christmas. Angels just kept appearing to people. I mean, angels were showing up all over the place, weren't they? Don't raise your hands on this, but how many of you have ever had an angel appear to you? (laughs) I have not. If one did, it would probably require a wardrobe change, right? (laughs) I mean, if you go back to that first Christmas, do you know what the first words of the angel were every time he appeared to people? Do not be afraid. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I smile every time I read that. An angel appears to somebody, do not be afraid. Because, I mean, it scared the bejeevers out of him, right? I mean, naturally, you can go back to the Old Testament. Before Jesus came and this angel appeared to a guy by the name of Daniel. And his reaction, he fell flat on his face. You know, then the angel appears to Mary to predict that she's going to have this son. An angel had to appear to Joseph to say, it's okay that she's pregnant because God's spirit caused this. Go ahead and take her as your wife. You know, an angel appeared to a guy by the name of Zachariah. He serviced the temple and said, your wife's going to have a son. Your, his name will be, of course, John the Baptist. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Everywhere you look, angels were appearing to people. And perhaps the most overwhelming first of that first Christmas was the fact that angels appeared to shepherds. And we'll explain that as we go, why this was so overwhelming. But it's interesting, in Luke chapter 1, that angel that just kept popping up all over the place, his name, it says, was Gabriel. He was like the messenger from God who delivered important messages to people. So I'll tell you this. Just a learning here this morning. If the angel Gabriel ever shows up to you, listen carefully. It's probably important, as it was that very first Christmas. Well, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Actually, we're going to start exactly where Adam started last week and extend the story a little more. By the way, if you were not here last week... Go to theridge.org and listen to that sermon. Adam did a great job of presenting the topic. The topic last week was peace. But we're going to pick it up today in Luke chapter 2. Very familiar part of the Christmas story. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 8 and make some comments as we go through this. Here we go, Luke 2 verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. We said angels appeared to shepherds guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them. We now know that was Gabriel. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Yeah, we figured that part out too now, haven't we? The traditional reading of this actually comes to mind when I read they were terrified. If Some of you remember the traditional reading from the King James Version. It said they were sore afraid. As a kid, I thought sore meant like it hurt or something, you know? And of course they were terrified because this is the first time an angel has ever appeared to them. Think in terms of this. What if an angel appeared to you? What would your reaction be? Same thing from these shepherds. Then it goes on, verse 10. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. There it is. You know, he tells that to people every time he appears. Because people just weren't used to angels appearing in those days either. This was a first. Next, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Remember how we said that first can lead to joy? Next, verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah of the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Um, About a month ago, I had the opportunity, the privilege of being in Bethlehem with a group of ridgers, and we visited the birthplace of Jesus. And a church stands on that site today. Well, here's where the story really starts to get interesting that we're reading from Luke 2. As if it wasn't enough that one angel appeared to the shepherds, now it's going to get even more intense. I'm going to read you several verses in a row. I want you to just try to picture in your mind what it would have been like to be a shepherd standing there in their fields and seeing this happen. Here we go, verse 13. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that has happened about which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angels had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Wow, you know, you read that, you picture that, and it's hard to imagine what that would have been like. But it was awesome, right? Have you ever been to a like a big sporting event or to a concert where everyone was excited, everyone was yelling, everyone just expressing their enthusiasm. Remember the energy at that event? I mean, multiply that like times a hundred. And maybe you can begin to appreciate what it had been like to be there and just see the heavens open up. And these angels explode, praising God. And, you know, we think they were singing, and maybe they weren't. It doesn't actually say they were singing. They may have been singing. Maybe they were just shouting. But they're described as a vast host, and then armies of heaven. Too many angels to count. But here's what's so intriguing to me. Actually, this may even be confounding. Why the shepherds? Why did they appear as shepherds? We just kind of take it for granted. We're used to the Christmas story. We've heard it over and over again. But if you dig deep, it makes no sense that they would appear to shepherds. Um, you know, a lot of strategy goes into a grand opening of a business or, you know, a restaurant. You know, you try to create a buzz, get people talking, because you only have one chance at a grand opening, Right? You only have one chance to make a first impression, they say. So if you're God, and you're going to bring your son into the world, why in the world would you choose shepherds to announce it to? You know, on some distant hill where no one else is going to notice. I mean, like, at least put it out there on social media or something, you know? Know this, the shepherds were at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. Shepherding was not the occupation. The parents were sending their kids to Harvard or Yale or Stanford to get a degree for in those days. In fact, I don't even think the University of Jerusalem had a bachelor's degree in shepherding back then. This was another first. God picked a bunch of lowly shepherds in an obscure field to send vast hosts of angels to announce Jesus' birth. Do you know that's actually so typical of God? Not only to surprise us, but to just subtly communicate that everybody matters to Him. And that things like socioeconomic status, income, job titles, just don't impress Him. The first Christmas was a Christmas of first. I want us to notice the response of the shepherds. First, it was fear, if not terror, to have an angel. The angel Gabriel appeared to you and speak to you. My guess is that a couple of them had to change their shepherd robes as well. But that fear soon turned to awe. When the heavens opened up, And they saw vast hosts praising God. I mean, it was just, you know, mind-blowing. Tears of fright may have turned into tears of wonder. You know, it took a few days to sink in and a few days to digest what happened. But then in Luke 2.20, we already read that they went back to their fields glorifying and praising God. They couldn't contain their excitement. Even the sheep probably noticed that something was up. You're like, what's up with these shepherds? It was pure joy. Now, our series that we're in right now is called The Ornaments of Christmas. Our ornament today is the ornament of joy. But let me ask you this: have you ever come to Christmas time and you were struggling with something in your life? Only to read Luke 2:10, where it says that good news will bring Great joy, and you thought, I'm not feeling it this Christmas. Am I missing something? But let's be clear about something. True joy does not come from our circumstances. True joy does not. You know how that works. If you get the present you want, you're happy. If you don't, you're not. That's superficial joy. That's not true joy. You know, if I get my shopping done in time, if Christmas dinner turns out like I should, if it snows on Christmas, if the family gets along, it was a good Christmas. Well, that's all based on circumstances. True joy is different. We want joy in our lives, obviously, especially at Christmas time. Christmas reminds us that we should have joy. And if our circumstances let us down and we're not feeling it, if we're not feeling all that joyful it can make Christmas time difficult. Remember, we've said this before, Christmas is a magnifier of both good and bad. Have you ever thought about how many Christmas songs have the word joy in them? You know, joy or even rejoice. Joy to the world. Angels, we have heard on high, the line says, why your joyous strains long. Hark the herald angels. This thing had the line in it that says, joyful, all ye nations rise. A lot of them either have joy or mention joy in them. Why is that? Because the birth of Jesus was a joyous occasion. You know, when we think of the Christmas story, we think of angels rejoicing, we think of people rejoicing, but it was not based on their circumstances. The shepherds had anything but an easy life. They were looked down on because of their occupation. Most of them were poor, But they found joy this Christmas, not in their circumstances, it came from somewhere else. So what's the secret? How do you find joy in spite of your circumstances? Some of you are probably dreading Christmas this year because of what has happened, because of what you know will happen. Because someone isn't going to be there, because you're going to be alone, or just because of stress in your life, anxiety, depression. If you're waiting until your circumstances get worked out just the right way to have joy, you're never going to experience it. Joy is not based on our circumstances. If it were, then most of life can just suck the joy right out of you, right? Instead, the real question we should be asking ourselves is, how can I find joy in spite of my circumstances? How can you find joy even when people aren't treating you right? How can you find joy even if the holiday season is difficult? The shepherds found it, didn't they? Their lives were tough, and you can too. Here's the bottom line. The secret to joy in your life is your relationship with God. We need to understand that. If you are struggling to find joy in life, quit looking at your circumstances. Look to God. Look at what you have in your relationship with God. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He came back to life. He offers you forgiveness of sins. You have someone to walk alongside of you in this life. You can have the promise of eternal life when you accept Jesus into your life. Now, having said that, I want to give you four questions that you need to ask yourself if you want to experience joy in your life. Sure, at Christmas time, but any time of the year. Here's the first. What can I do to change my focus? When you lose your joy, what are you focused on? Either yourself or the circumstances around you, right? Where was the shepherd's focus? It was on what God Had done. I think it's interesting in verse 20 we read that the shepherds went back to their fields, back to their flocks. In other words, they had this amazing experience, and then it was just life back to normal. Sure, an amazing experience when angels appear to you in the sky. They're praising God, but their focus was on God, and that's where they found great joy. Next question to ask. What does God want to teach me? This is so important. Rather than focusing on your circumstances, you can focus on what God wants to teach you through the tough times. Rather than thinking about how bad you have it, ask yourself, what can God teach me through this? I honestly believe there are times where God actually allows us to go through difficult circumstances to teach us. Maybe things don't go well at work. Maybe you're under financial pressure. Maybe your best friend moves away. It could be related to your health or someone's health close to you. Why would God do that? Because he has a higher purpose. There may be something there to teach us. There are many, many biblical examples of this. Let me give you just one. Take Joseph. Not the Christmas story Joseph, but the Joseph that's recorded in the first part of the Bible in the book of Genesis. He spent several Christmases away from his family, either as a slave or in prison. Thirteen straight Christmases, to be exact. Yet, he kept his focus on what God was trying to teach him through that time. Through that time, those thirteen Christmases, he learned humility, he learned patience, he learned to trust in God. All of which he would need later in life, when he would lead the nation of Egypt. And because his focus was on what God was doing in his life, this is what he was able to say later in life when he looked back, when he had the big picture. This is Genesis 50-20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You can find joy in what God is doing in your life, even if your circumstances aren't what you would want them to be. Here's the next question. What can I do to look outward instead of inward? When I lose my joy, where is my focus? On me. You know, I, I find that one of the best ways to replenish or to restore the joy in my life or to find joy in my life is to get my focus off of me and to begin to serve others. So I find someone to visit, or a kind deed to do for someone else. (laughs) That restores my joy. Now why is this the case? Because what's happening is you're getting your focus off yourself, and you're getting it on others. You're looking outward instead of inward. And sometimes you even begin to think, you know, I don't have it so bad after all this Christmas. Christmas may be your opportunity to serve someone, to bless someone, to bring someone else joy. And when you do that, you find joy yourself. Finally, one other question. What promise of God do I need to claim? The Bible is loaded with promises for those who have lost their joy let me give you some examples. Are you struggling with a temptation that has caused you to lose your joy? Well, here's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure it. Struggling to forgive someone in your life, and as a result, you've lost your joy? Listen to Ephesians 4, 32. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Discouraged this time of year? Here's Psalm 43, verse 5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Problems getting you down? Listen to Romans 5, 3 and 4. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Worried about the future? Well, here's what Jesus said, his promise in John 14one 3. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Put the ornament of joy on your Christmas tree this year. And that comes through your relationship with God. Some of you know Chad and Kim Taylor, who have attended the Ridge for many years. They're going through an incredibly challenging time this holiday season. I'm gonna let them tell you their own story of how they've been able to find strength and joy in their relationship with God.
1: November 4th, I came home from hunting and um, our daughter, Sarah, had a, a lump on her arm.
2: When she woke up, one morning and had told me um, that she had been in severe pain that night and it was hard to sleep. She was almost in tears.
1: Found out that she had osteosarcoma which is uh, bone cancer.
2: Because we have a relationship with God um, we have I mean we have felt his presence with us the whole way through this and we have seen his presence with Sarah and because of Sarah's relationship with God um, from an early on point even like in the emergency room when we heard that it was potentially a cancerous tumor that they were seeing on the x-rays I just remember looking at her and um, she had shared with me how powerful Um, it was for her to listen to some testimonies just a few weekends prior of some kids at a camp that she was at. And I remember just looking at her and saying, maybe this is going to be your testimony. Um, And she smiled.
1: Early on, God laid out my heart. It was rare. It was uh, 400 children in America have this a year. There was more people that would win the lottery than what would have this cancer. A week or two went by and I dealt with it just internally more about what, that it was rare and that God could use it. It could be a time in our lives spiritually that was great growth. I don't want to say that it was a a spiritual lottery, but maybe, you know, that's the best way to explain it for me. Um, But where God could use this just to reach people for him, and uh, when when I got to that point, it really let me look at it through his eyes.
2: Well, finding joy in the middle of this is—it's not hard if you first of all, if you know Sarah, she smiles. She is just a joyful person and I know that that comes from her relationship with Jesus and she has kind of led the way at times in that because she's just such a positive person and it's reminded us to be positive and to just enjoy the time that we do have together and you know we're learning what the new normal is but it's still okay to laugh Seeing her friends take a stand in their faith and uh, lead prayer circles at school, and um, hearing about you know her youth group growing because of her journey and what she's going through. Um, those are the things that are making her smile right now, because she knows that God is using this. And really, one day I just had to look at her and tell her, I think you've been given a job. You're, you have a ministry that God is growing through all of this. And um, she just smiled. And um, I know for her that it, that's what's making this you know, bearable. It will all be worth it. He will bring good from this.
0: You know, I've so admired Chad and Kim and Sarah's faith through this. They're finding strength in their relationship with God. This Christmas could be a Christmas first for you too. Rather than letting your circumstances dictate how the holiday season goes, you can let your relationship with God be your focus. There's peace, there's strength, there's joy. Even when life doesn't go the way we hoped it would. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the kind of God you are, that you enter our world, you enter our circumstances, just like you did that first Christmas. You've experienced pain, you've experienced suffering. Jesus, when you came to earth, so you understand it when we do too. And yet at that very first Christmas, it was a Christmas of joy. So my prayer is that it could be a Christmas for joy for all of us too, regardless of what our circumstances are. You know, I pray for the Taylor family today. I pray for everyone who is going through challenges this Christmas season that they'll be able to find strength in their relationship with you, and most importantly, that they could find joy because of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.